Whether it's Thanksgiving or, or Christmas or just a backyard barbecue with friends, there's something about sharing a meal with others that requires intentionality. And it builds into community and it provides conversation. There's something special about sitting around a table and sharing a meal. And then you add in Jesus and you get a meal with a message. Today we're going to look at one of his larger meals, the guest list exceeding more than 5,000. And this, not just an incredible event on its own, but it has a certain distinction. One of two miracles recorded in all four Gospels, uh, Jesus' resurrection being the second. Now today we're going to primarily live in Mark's account, but we're going to use the other Gospel writers to add in some detail. Now, perhaps you remember this story, Jesus and the 5,000 from Sunday school or perhaps Veggie Tales. The challenge with this story being so familiar is that sometimes we can easily miss the practical applications. You see, what Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000, that's just part of the story. You see, first it's important to set the scene, to provide the context. Before we get to this hillside gathering, Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples to do ministry, to do some solo mission work. It was time to get their hands dirty, to, to put what they have learned into practice, to, to move from observer into ministry partner, to do the work of the gospel. And so Mark, Mark's account picks up with everyone returning to base camp. Mark 6.30 starts this way. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, this huddle was likely a mix of excitement and exhaustion. Excitement because everyone was clamoring together, wanting to tell Jesus what they had done and, and what they had seen and what they had taught. It was just an exciting, exciting time. But exhaustion as well because the mere flurry of the day, as Mark records, then, because so many people were coming and going, they, the disciples, did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus knew that doing the work of the ministry was going to be important. It was going to be exhausting. But to do it effectively, they would need downtime, rest, rejuvenation. Here at Cornwall, we call it soul care. It's why Jesus would say this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I mean, Luke gives us a little more detail. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. It's actually John who drops the pin to an even more detailed location by saying, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're a visual learner, take a look at this. It's where they were huddled, and they were on their way here to the tip-top of the Sea of Galilee, uh, to Bethsaida. That was their destination. So they sail away. They're off on their way, and Mark continues in this way. So they, Jesus, and the disciples went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. It all sounds great, right? I'm sure it sounded like the perfect end to a long day. After doing ministry work all day, your boss says, kick back, relax, rejuvenate. Let's do this all in a quiet place. And then it happens. A Bible but. You see, that very simple word diverts their plan. They went away to a solitary place in a boat, but... But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot 
from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Maybe you missed this in a previous reading of this account, but what Mark records here is quite phenomenal. You see, followers of Jesus, so desperate, so excited, so hungry for more teaching, for more moments and more miracles, that they were willing to hoof it to Jesus' next destination. Now, either this seems highly unbelievable or very familiar. You see, Jesus, as he often was, was an originator. But we have seen this exact thing happen in our modern day. On February 7, 1964, New York's Kennedy Airport was a bit busier and a little louder than it normally was. As Pan Am Flight 101 arrived from London, more than 3,000 people began screaming at the top of their lungs. As the plane door would open, four young men would emerge, all in their early 20s, wearing modest suits and, and sporting some bowl cuts. Paul and Ringo and John and George, better known as the Beatles, had finally arrived in America. Two days later, they would make their U.S. TV debut on the Ed Sullivan Show. And following that, they would perform concerts at the Coliseum in Washington, D.C., and back at Carnegie Hall in New York. And while those concerts were the headline, the real story below the fold was about the super fans, the die-hard fans who somehow discovered their trip itinerary and their hotel bookings. So as the Beatles would leave one hotel on their way to the next, these fans would make their way ahead of them to the next hotel so that they could be right there, ready, in place, waiting and screaming, hoping for one more glimpse of the foursome. And this was not unique for this band at this time. In fact, 50-some years later, it would happen all over again with another band from England called One Direction. When a new batch of teenage girls would jet from city to city and hotel to hotel for the chance to be on the rope line when One Direction would arrive and the chance to see them pass by. So perhaps what we're seeing with Jesus and this crowd following him from place to place isn't so unbelievable after all. I mean, he did have rock star status anyway, right? So the boat prepares to land, and Mark records this. When Jesus landed, the boat comes ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he turned the boat around. No, that's, that's not right. He pretended he was sleeping. That's not right either. He asked the disciples, who wants to take the lead? No, of course not. Jesus pulls a Jesus here. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Now consider for a moment the magnitude of this action. This may be one of those moments you previously just read over. Keep in mind, it's been a full ministry workday. Jesus and his disciples had one thing in mind, some good old rest and relaxation. Instead, what they see ahead is this same crowd, the same people they had been with all day here, and now suddenly they're here, and they want just a little bit more. 
And Jesus being Jesus provides the reason for his compassion. And spoiler alert, it's a good reason. He sees the crowd. He has compassion. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like a ship without a rudder, a plane without a pilot, the Seahawks without Russell Wilson. Too soon? Okay, we've all heard the rumors, right? Okay, moving on. Jesus sees the crowd. He has compassion because these people are like sheep without a shepherd. He knows, he realizes, he recognizes they were lost. They needed guidance. They needed direction. And so what does he do? He begins to teach them many things. Jesus hops off the boat and doesn't skip a beat and jumps right back into teaching. Now, sometime later, Mark picks up this account with the already tired disciples making an observation. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, Jesus. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Now, for all the planners... For all the Enneagram 3s and type A's, you appreciate this question. The disciples are simply stating fact here. They're hoping to nudge Jesus to start thinking ahead. Like, Jesus, we are in the middle of nowhere. I don't see any food trucks pulling up. And the people around here are going to get hangry real soon. So what are you thinking? And you probably know someone who is fine without food until they're not fine, right? And then all bets are off. And so the disciples here are just being proactive. Jesus then replies to Philip, well, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus said to Philip. He asked this only to test him. This is important for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And unaware of this foreshadowing, Philip replies this way. Send the people away so that they can go to surrounding, uh, the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Again, I think this is very matter of fact. I suspect this answer is very pure and rational. But Jesus, who already had in mind what he was going to do, had a different idea. He says this, you give them something to eat. In fact, Matthew's account has Jesus say this, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I mean, you got to love Jesus's response, right? You, you feed them. They're hungry. You take care of it. Now, at this moment, the disciples probably should have recalled Jesus making seemingly impossible commands before, only to learn later he had a master plan tied to a lesson. And perhaps some of them did remember that. But for those who didn't, things escalate quickly. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, before we go all self-righteous and call out their seemingly snarky tone, it's important to keep our viewpoint in check. 
we know how the story ends. We also know these guys are well past E on their gas tank. And remember, we know what Jesus is up to. In fact, the teacher here is about to do a lesson for the disciples and those gathered that they won't forget. So knowing the answer already, Jesus replies this way. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Now, this is factually accurate. But Mark's account misses one very important person. This guy right here. This guy. Now, now for me, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is synonymous with this unnamed young man. Mainly because of one of these. Now, long before there was Spotify and, and iTunes and somewhere between records and CDs, there was these, the cassette tape. Now, these little babies, man, these were jam-packed. Music on both sides. And if you're a boomer or a Gen Xer, perhaps you were lucky enough to receive a mixtape as a gift from your loved one. Now, growing up, mostly on road trips, we would pop in a cassette tape into our car and, and listen to it to pass the time. And one such cassette featured songs and stories about famous kids of the Bible. It went through the story of David and Jonathan and Samuel and, and Rhoda and a handful of kids that don't have their names recorded in the Bible but made huge kingdom impact. And one of those no names on the cassette was this kid. And it's not John, or sorry, it's John, it's not Mark who actually puts the spotlight on this unnamed young man. John records this. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up saying, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will this go among so many? Now, I imagine Jesus' disciples couldn't have been more excited because suddenly in this location, this remote place, and it being very late, suddenly there's real food as an option. And so Jesus, who had all of this in mind already, sets the scene. Mark continues. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Maybe it looked something like this. Okay, no, this is not the hillside at Bethsaida. This is the Gorge Amphitheater here in Washington. And while the gospel records 5,000, that was not accounting for women and children. So many Bible scholars would say the number was closer to 10 to 20,000. And so this picture gives us a visual of what thousands of people gathered together on a hillside would look like. And as I look at this picture, with a crowd of this size growing hungry, you can empathize with the, the disciples wondering how will they feed everyone with this little amount of food? Well, Jesus had a plan. Remember back to verse 6, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so we see him put it into action. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. 
Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. He blessed, he divided, he distributed. Jesus showed he had the divine ability to feed people with physical food. But the greater lesson is that he could feed people with spiritual food. More on that next week. And the crowd's response? Well, pure appreciation. They all ate. They were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. The end of the story, not the sermon. In fact, I would offer the end of Mark's account is really the beginning of some amazing lower shelf applications for those on the hillside, the disciples, that little boy, and you watching today. You see, it's what makes Jesus so incredible. His lessons remain timeless. So for our balance of time together, I'd like to offer three observations from this miraculous meal with Jesus. Jesus leads, Jesus asks, and Jesus allows. First, Jesus leads with compassion. Think back to your last hard day at work. Perhaps it was a meeting, a day full of meetings, or or Zooms, or a training that just wouldn't end, or maybe it was just people, like Lots and lots of people. Whatever the reason, your workday, it was exhausting. And as you drove home, all you could picture was greeting your family and having dinner and then sitting on the couch doing nothing, just sitting and being. And then it happens. Hey, Dad, my bike chain came off. Can you fix it? Hey, Mom, I need some help with my math homework. Honey, can you take the garbages outside? Let me ask you this. Did you lead with compassion? Yeah, me either. And yet Jesus does this time and time again. As Jesus looks ahead and he sees the crowd, I wonder if he looked back into his boat and looked at his disciples exhausted, realizing that he too was tired. And still, what does he do? He leads with compassion. What makes this even more significant is that Jesus had just learned of the death of John the Baptist. So his ministerial tank was low, and now he's facing personal loss as well. He's been with people all day, and yet he leads with compassion. Jesus knows what it's like to operate on fumes. Jesus knows what it's like to keep on keeping on in the midst of a storm. And what's incredible is we don't need a hillside of thousands of people to get this. Because he gives us a chance to practice this every day in situations. When your tank is low, practice compassion with others. When you've been with people all day and one more person sneaks in your office and needs something from you, practice compassion with them. You know, it's often said from this platform that Jesus knows how you're feeling because he's felt the same way. Why is that? It's because it's for the good of others. It would have been good, maybe even understandable, to reroute the boat or to tell the crowd, come back tomorrow. But it was better 
to consider their best interests. Paul would write about this when he'd write uh, to the Philippians. He'd say, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Now, I know that's easier said than done. We want what we want, and we want what we want when we want it. I wonder what the disciples were mumbling about in the back of the boat that afternoon. I'm sure they had already pictured kicking off their sandals and and lounging back and taking a nap and and sharing stories, and then Jesus throws them a curveball. Maybe that sounds familiar. Perhaps our plans should be written in pencil because Jesus might just have another idea for you. And that we can't change, but our attitude we can. Jesus sets the bar high. So let us strive to reach toward him as often as we can. May we consider ourselves a little less so we can consider others a little more. And at those moments, whether in the back of the boat or approaching your driveway, release frustration, battle, exhaustion, and lead with compassion. So first, Jesus leads with compassion. Second, Jesus asks for all we have. Jesus asks for all we have. Now, we don't know much about this little boy. We don't know his name. We don't know where he was going. We don't know how old he was. What we do know is this. He provides a critical teaching moment for all those gathered that day, that Jesus asks for all we have. I mean, imagine if the boy had replied, you know, Jesus, it took a while to hook these fish, and my family's really looking forward to some fresh bread, so how about we go have these? I mean, that response would more than change the story. I mean, who knows? Maybe that bread and fish was paid for with a week's worth of earnings. It was intended for that family's dinner that night. Well, it didn't matter because he willingly gave it all. You know, everything I read about Jesus, I see he's all or nothing. I mean, later in Mark's gospel, Jesus would observe uh, the poor widow uh, making her offering at the temple. And as she drops in those two copper coins worth mere sense, he calls the attention of his disciples saying this, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything, all she had to live on. And let me be clear, this extends well beyond money and tithing. It's about what we have, the tangible, but Jesus is also really interested in the posture of our hearts, our our actions, and our attitude. You know, when Jesus first called his disciples, imagine if he had said, hey, hey, Peter, Andrew, James, John, drop your nets and follow me on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. Or, or what if Jesus had said, you know, if you love me, keep some of my commandments. Or what if Paul had written, rejoice sometimes and pray occasionally and give thanks in certain situations. That does not sound like the Jesus we know. Jesus was all in for us and asked the same of you for him. To drop your net and follow him with all you have. To keep all his commandments. To rejoice all the time. To pray always and to give thanks in all circumstances. 
Now make no mistake, there is a certain weight to the word all. But then and now, then and now, Jesus asks for all we have. And this is important. He doesn't ask for all we have just so that he can take from us or so that we go without. Jesus asks for all we have so that we can give up what we hold on to so tightly so that we can trust and believe the one who gave it to us initially, and so that Jesus can do far more with it than we ever could. I suspect the boy on the hillside carrying that basket of fish and bread had no idea the magnitude his willingness to give it all would have that day. So Jesus leads, Jesus asks, and finally, Jesus allows. He allows us to be part of the story. Jesus is up to great things, like big and small things every single day. And he readily invites you and I to be part of the story he's writing. Now, without a doubt, every sermon you hear from this platform at Cornwall Church will put Jesus at the center. But that same Jesus allows us and invites us to be part of the story he's writing for his glory and for the benefit of others. I mean, rewind the tape, and Jesus could have accomplished this feeding of 5,000 on his own. The Gospels would have recorded that it was all Jesus. He was responsible for the entire event, and nobody would have thought twice. He could have snapped his fingers, and everyone would have been fed instantly in the blink of an eye. But he didn't do that. Instead, he orchestrated the entire event, and he intentionally allowed others to be part of the story, to be a blessing to those on the hillside that day. Obviously, the little boy who provided the fish and the loaves and the disciples who were called on for what? The distribution. Jesus can use anyone for anything at any time, at any age. From the boy who gave up his lunch, to Josiah who was called to be king, to Abraham who lived 175, or, or Joseph who lived to 110. And I love what Joseph would say in Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to what? To accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. God could have done everything on his own. Instead, he allows us to be part of the story. He invited Joseph in to be a blessing to others, to be part of the story. So you watching that are part of Encounter or Edge or Explorers League, Jesus has big plans for you to step up to the plate. And you won't find retirement in the Bible anywhere. So you empty nesters, you senior saints, you aren't done either. Proverbs 16.31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. So if you're breathing, Jesus can use you. Babe Ruth once said, I've determined a coach's favorite player is the one who simply wants to play. The player who's willing to play whenever and wherever. Jesus is set to call you off the bench and onto the field. And this should be exciting. This is cool. This should not be a burden because the how will be unique to you. And the results 
are not up to you. So be ready to act. Be willing to participate. Perhaps he'll use you through financial giving or or praying for others. Maybe he'll reveal himself to others as you serve through the talents he's given you. What if Jesus is asking you to to show up with a simple encouragement uh, for someone you know, or to buy a cup of coffee for the car behind you, or to go visit the widow who lives in your neighborhood? Maybe he'll call you to go and be on the mission field around the world, or he'll invite you into the story he's writing in your own backyard. Next month, believe it or not, marks the one-year anniversary of the pandemic. And I think it's fair to say COVID-19 has been quite the roller coaster ride, affecting us all in different ways at different times. Some have suffered a loss of connection, others a loss of employment. And yet, as the campus pastor in Skagit, I have had a front row seat of seeing Jesus use people in big and small ways in the story of others. I remember one instance, probably mid-pandemic, I was approached by a couple who said the Spirit was impressing on them to help with the needs of a family in need at our campus. They wanted to remain anonymous, so they put a gift card in an envelope and sealed it. It was a Visa gift card. It was that same day that the Lord impressed on me that family that would be blessed and benefit from this gift. As I delivered the gift, I made it crystal clear. I am just the messenger, that it was from another family in the church that had been prompted to give. Well, the next day I got an email. Pastor Brian, we remain humbled and so appreciative of the gift card you delivered yesterday. We hope you'll pass along our sincere thanks to the anonymous givers. God provides in his time and in his ways. Catch this. And this time, we are so grateful he blessed us through the generosity of others. Sure, Jesus could have provided this family with the finances they needed. Instead, he allowed others to be part of the story. Jesus doesn't need us, but he wants us to be part of the work he's doing around us. So as this new week begins... Look for those opportunities where Jesus is inviting you in to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You see, this miraculous meal with Jesus is far more than just a story about multiplication of of bread and fish. This meal was an opportunity for more than 5,000 people and 12 disciples and one little boy to see Jesus once again affirm his faithfulness. You see, Jesus was faithful in his equipping of the disciples at the start of the day to do a day of ministry. He was faithful in teaching the crowds that would gather that day. He was faithful in teaching the crowds again that would gather that day. He was faithful in providing food to those that were hungry. He was faithful in in providing in a situation that seemed hopeless. Jesus is and was faithful. There's a song we're singing here at Cornwall Church. It's called Promises by Maverick City Music. And the bridge says this, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. 
my hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down. Just as the 5,000 and the 12 disciples and that little boy placed their faith in Jesus that day, we too can continue being encouraged by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We too can cling to Jesus as our anchor and our foundation and our example. See, Jesus led with compassion and gives you the ability to do the same. Jesus asks for what we have so that he can do far more than we ever could. And Jesus allows us to be part of the story for his glory, for his plan, and for the benefit of others. And even when it's difficult to be compassionate, even when it's difficult to give up what we have, even when we're scared to step out and step into the part that Jesus has specifically written for us to make kingdom impact, Jesus is faithful all along the way. And this song reminds us, he'll never let us down. He'll only hold us up. Sometimes following Jesus is like standing at the edge of a diving board. But when we take to heart that Jesus is faithful in all circumstances, we can jump without fear and with the anticipation that we're part of fulfilling his plan. And therein lies the excitement of following Jesus. So here's this week's challenge. It's two part. One, what do you have? And two, are you willing to give it to Jesus? What do you have? And are you willing to give it up to Jesus? Now, the first question requires you to consider what is Jesus specifically asking you to give? Is it your time? Do you have time to serve at Edge Encounter in Explorers League, to go and be uh, guest services, to volunteer in your community? Do you have time? Is it to bless others with your finances? Have you been blessed to be a blessing? Or is it to share of your talent? Do you have the expertise in a trade that would be a blessing to your community, to a, a nonprofit or a neighbor? For the boy, he gave up his lunch. For that widow, she gave up her coins. And for the disciples, they gave up their day jobs. And Jesus faithfully used all of them for kingdom impact. So the first question asks the what. But then there's that pesky second question. 2 Corinthians 9 reminds us that God loves a cheerful giver. And the second question is a heart-level question. Are you willing? You have the time, but are you willing? You have the resources, but are you willing? You have the talent, but are you willing? You don't need unlimited time or stacks of cash or to be a certified tradesman. You just have to be willing to show up and give what you have. You know, I never would have guessed that a song, a single song on a cassette tape would forever solidify this story, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 for me. But the chorus of that one song has stuck with me for more than 30 years. And so I'll let it be our takeaway. The, The chorus of the song says, just a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit can be more than enough, though it isn't much by his holy touch. Just a little bit can be more than enough. You see, Jesus uses the ordinary for the extraordinary. He makes the impossible possible. So may we never think or give in to the idea that we aren't important enough 
or rich enough or talented enough or smart enough or that we have enough. May Jesus just shatter our pint-sized expectation of what he can do when we show up and bring our best to the table. Cornwall Church, God only knows the stories that he will write and the lives that he will change when we are willing to show up and give all that we have. Because just a little bit can be more than enough. Let me pray for us. Father, we we pause to thank you for this incredible, timeless story. This meal that, when we step back, really is more than just a miracle about bread and fish. It's about you being faithful as you always are. It's about you teaching and caring and loving and having compassion on others. And so, Jesus, help us be the same. Help us live your example. Help Help us lead with compassion even when we're out of gas. Help us have the right attitude Uh, when you ask for all that we have and help us see your calling for those moments to be part of your story. And in all of this, help us live in your promise of your faithfulness. You are our anchor and our hope and our foundation. We love and trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.